long do you wait for someone to pay you back? Really, I got your money. I got your money. Just next Tuesday, all right? I, I, just wait for the, the paycheck to come in. It's all right. Just wait till after the first of the month. Social Security will hit. I'll have your money for you right away. How long do you wait for someone to pay you back? How long do you wait for, for someone to, to make good on what they said that they would do for you? Have you ever run into those occurrences where, you say, where you, someone has promised you something and you go, and uh, they're just not quite there with how long it takes? I think we've all run into those situations. I think it, at some point we're like a, a good bank. We'll write off a bad loan and just say, you know what, forget it. It's all right. I know you couldn't make good on it. And Pastor Dina gave a, a preview of today and, and the fact that we're going to be dealing with the promises of God. We're going to be dealing with the promise, uh, uh, a specific promise of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, but also we're going to be dealing with God's methods and God's timing as well. You know, we expect payment pretty, pretty quickly. The bank has a set term. I have yet to encounter a mortgage, which is the open-end mortgage. Pay us what you can, when you can. Actually, if you go back in U.S. history, that was the, the taxation system for the Articles of Confederation, our first government as a nation. Congress did not actually have the power to enforce taxes. It was kind of like, hey, we could use this money. And, of course, what did the people do? Well, we, we don't have the Articles of Confederation anymore, do we? They lasted a very short period of time. And so, how long do we wait for the promises of God? And that's one of the questions that we're going to be dealing with today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15. Genesis 18, 1 through 15. Genesis, the first book of the Bible. And we're going to be looking at this story of three visitors to Abraham and Sarah at their tents in Mamre. And so we're going to take a look at this. And what we're going to see in this passage is the fact that God is faithful to his promises. God is faithful to his promises. And we're going to see that God is faithful to his promises in his timing and through his methods. And those are hard for us to deal with because we like things in our time and by our methods, don't we? We want things on our terms. But God is faithful to his promises in his own timing and through his own methods. So uh, Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, here... God's word as I share it with you. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, "'If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by.' Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest, rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat, so you can be refreshed and then go on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. 
So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Let me translate that a little bit further. Quick, he said, get 36 pounds of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son." Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. This is God's Word to us today. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your Word. We give you thanks for the promises that you give to us and the reminders that you are faithful to us and faithful to your promises. That stands in stark contrast to our feeble promises in our feeble words. Help grow and deepen our trust in you through this word. And now strengthen my words, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O God, you hold the very words of eternal life, so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last week we saw how we were created for peace. We were created for harmony. We were created for wholeness. And then we skipped over this chapter, but then chapter 3 of Genesis happens and it all gets blown up. And we are left with the world that we know today. And throughout the time, uh, throughout the intervening time that, that are the next several chapters, we see how humanity kind of gets worse and worse, and our need for a Savior becomes more and more evident. Out of this, out of the idolatry of the world, God calls Abraham, or Abram at that time, and brings Abram into the picture, not because of any merit of Abram's. Abraham, uh, Abram at the time, really follows foreign gods. He follows family gods. He's an idolater who is just living his life like everyone else. But God calls him out and makes promises to Abram. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. He gives him the covenant of circumcision, a sign of the promises that, that are made to him. And now, uh, 
or in the prior chapter, you have the promise, and in a couple of the prior chapters, you have the promise of a family. Only one problem with that. Abram and Sarai, or Abraham and Sarah, are getting a little old. They're getting a little advanced in years. In the prior chapters, uh, chapter, we learn Abraham's age. In chapter 17, he is 86, uh, which would have made uh, Sarah 76. And now in this chapter, we find out that Abraham is 99, which would make Sarah 89. And so as we come to this promise that God has made, that you will have a son, and we find out in the prior chapter that he is to be named Isaac, um, what would be going through your head? Do we have any 89-year-olds in the... Uh, maybe I shouldn't ask that. <laughs> but if you, if you would be 89, let's talk, talk hypothetically and you were promised a son, what is going through your head? No, thank you. <laughs> That's fantastic. I even thought about caveating, like anyone thinking something that you feel like, I'm in a sanctuary, I shouldn't be thinking this. But, you know, we, if you think about it, it makes no sense. Practically speaking, this is... This is not a this is not a, a promise that you're going to cash in on. I was talking to one of my colleagues late uh, recently, and uh, we were talking about our families. And his son just went off to college, and his son has had some difficulty in settling down and maturing. Let's say, and um, but his son really, really, really wants a new car, <laughs> and he said you know, he's going to go to the bank and the bank's going to want a co-signer and I just have to tell him I ain't co-signing on that loan because I don't want to end up paying for it. You know, it's, it, it, the, the loan makes no sense and he wanted to explain to his son that the reason he would need a co-signer is because the bank doesn't believe that he would make good on that promise so they want to back up. Well, I think Sarah at this point is thinking, I don't believe you're going to make good on this promise. And we already actually saw the backup. Her name was Hagar, and the resulting son is named Ishmael. Interestingly, Ishmael means God hears. We saw the backup plan and, and from a really practical uh, side, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, this promise no longer makes any sense. The empirical data, and, I, and I'm not projecting, I'm not projecting a, a modern view on Abraham and Sarah. These are people who know very well what life is like. They know very well what life and death is. They know when they can have children and when they cannot. And they are saying, this is not going to happen. At least Sarah is. And it's funny because in a parallel to this, in, in a parallel to Isaac and to uh, Abraham and Sarah, we have the promise of redemption through Jesus. And it's funny because even our own culture 
in its own way, a few years ago, made that same question. Um, Andrew Lloyd Webber, in his rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, puts in the mouth of Judas this question. Uh, well, it's not a question, it's a statement about why, you know, why do you come to such a backward time in, such a, in a backward land? He says, if you'd, come, if you'd come today, you could have reached a whole nation Israel in 4 BC had no mass communication. Even we ask about why God's promises take so long. And yet, as we see here, God becomes faithful and is faithful to his promises, not in our timing. Abraham and Sarah, they, they wanted this promise fulfilled 50 years ago. For some of us, we wanted things fulfilled minutes, hours, days, decades, generations ago. There are things that we pray for that, that we have been praying for them for years. There are names on my prayer list. Uh, sometimes when I am doing the prayer of the day, we, I lead us to pray for people we want to see come to a relationship with Christ. And over my time of praying that, both here and in Illinois, there have been some names who have changed. But there are a few names that have remained constant since the first time I started praying for that. I continue to pray for those people. And I wonder at times, why is it taking so long? Will it ever happen? But God is faithful in His own timing. So the question isn't whether we can control God's timing, because anytime we try to control God, how does that turn out? Not too good. Doesn't turn out well at all. And funny, God's even able to use our feeble efforts to control his timing to his good. Ishmael will get a nation of his own and will thrive on his own. But God still fulfills his promises in his own timing. So it's not a question of can we control God's timing? It's a question of how do we wait on God's timing? How do we wait on God's timing? Do you, like me, have those prayers that you've had for years? Either people or situations or, or events, and you feel like there has been silence for years and years and years? It's very interesting because there are certain areas of my life where I feel like God has been, has moved powerfully and has answered things that I didn't even realize I was asking. And yet, at the same time, there are things that I feel like I have been asking for years and years that there has been dead silence. And in those things, we forget about the faithfulness of God in the other areas of our life. And we feel that, that, and we forget that God's timing is not our timing in those areas where we feel urgency. And here's the thing, urgency on our part is not an emergency on God's part. 
Do you hear that? Urgency on our part is not an emergency on God's part. Who is to be subject to whose timing? Are we to be subject to God's timing or is God's to be subject to our timing? We are reminded that the eternal one doesn't perceive time the same way that we do. You know, we feel like when we're children, we feel like uh, time moves by at a snail's pace. I felt like birthdays, you know, were just hundreds of years apart when I was five. And now that I'm not five, birthdays come a little quicker than I'd like to admit. And yet for God, we, we learn Psalm 90, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Second Peter Uh, Peter says, do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. God isn't subject to our timing, does not perceive time in the same way. He is outside of time. Like the author of a book doesn't feel the time within the book that they're writing. We can read stories and we can, we can see how characters grow and age, but that author is still the same to them. Abraham had been waiting well over 13 years for this promise of a son to be fulfilled. And actually 13 years since Hagar, he had, uh, he had been with Hagar and they had produced Ishmael as well. And yet God is saying, I still have that promise in mind and I am still going to be faithful to it. But we still have that problem of the reality of our situations. Sarah knew the condition of her body and and she laughed at God's promises based on the reality that she understood. I get why she laughed. Don't hear me as criticizing Sarah too much because I know that with one finger pointed at her, there are, there are others here that are pointing right back at me. All the evidence said that this couldn't happen. But as God responds, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord. What are the longings of our heart that we have been asking God to fulfill? What are the the longings of our heart? Are are they relationships that, that we wish that are broken, that we wish weren't broken? Are they careers that we aspire to? Are they financial situations that we aspire to are, you know, are, is it for someone to know Jesus? Is it for revival in the church? Is it dealing with a broken situation? How much urgency is there pressed on our heart, and how much of that do we put on God then to answer? Are we trying to make our urgency God's emergency? Or are we willing to wait on the Lord? 
to allow God to be God and to allow us to be His dearly loved children? Will we allow His timing or will we insist on ours? God doesn't just, isn't just faithful in His own time, but He's also faithful through His own methods. Like I mentioned, Ishmael is there, and Ishmael is going to be blessed by God because God promised, I, I have promised that through your offspring, people will be blessed. And so he makes that true of Ishmael, but, but the promise of salvation will go the way that God had intended. Ishmael, in some ways, represents our effort, our effort to, to make, the, make God's plans come true in the way that we want on the timing that we want. But Isaac fully represents the goodness of God in his own time and in his own way. When all else seems impossible, somehow that's when God will always still take us. When we have come to the end of of all human possibility, as if to say, I want you to know it was solely by my effort and not by yours. I want all possibility of your effort to be dead so that you can know you had nothing to do with it. That's God's effort. That's what Isaac represents. And so we have to ask, you know, do we pray, God, here's what I want with an assumption that we will get it how we want it? Or like Abraham and Sarah, if we can't see a normal way forward, will we start to bend the rules and bend realities to make things happen the way that we want it? Well, if God promised this, then we're going to have to break a few rules to do it. But God said it. This is why Sarah offered up Hagar. She saw that in conventional wisdom, there was no way forward. No way to make this promise happen. Instead of trusting the promise itself. Now, as we, as we think about this, as we see Abraham and Sarah, and as we think about trusting God's methods, we don't just throw up our hands. That would be the other way. One one end of the spectrum is to, to try to control everything ourselves. The other end of the spectrum is to just throw up our hands and say, well, we can't do anything on our own, so I'm just going to wait for God. What we need is the middle ground that has lots of spiritual discernment. Like I mentioned, there are some people that I've prayed for for years, close to close to 10 years now, that they would come to know Christ. And there is a part of uh, the Christian world that would say, well, what are you doing about it? And I would say, listen, here's the deal. I have no relationship with them at this moment, and we are separated by a great distance. I have no practical, I have no relational way to speak into their life. But I know God is able to work in that area. Now, there are some friends that do live, uh, that don't live close by as well. 
with whom I have a good relationship and with whom we can have deep, challenging conversations. Because God has opened up those doors in a way that, that have not been opened in others. And through spiritual discernment, I've been able to ask questions and push back and ask tough questions to which the response has been, I really need to think about that. Will you call me back and ask me that same question? Yes, yes, I will. Spiritual discernment is a skill. Like any skill, it has to be developed. Right now in our household and, and in, in households across this great land of, year, of ours, we have beginning music students. We have a beginning trumpet player in our house. Uh, Katie teaches beginning strings. How many in here like hearing beginning violinists? Bless you, hon. <laughs> you know, the, that's a skill. It has to be developed over time. And to develop it over time, we have to be willing to listen to the screeching strings and to the, and to the bladded notes in a trumpet or a trombone. There's a reason we really don't give French horns to first-year students. <laughs> but we've got to develop those skills. And we have to be willing to, to go through those difficult and awkward stages where we get it wrong and where we, where we don't successfully discern the Spirit of God. And we mess it up and we have to say, you know what, I'm very sorry. I thought this was the correct way forward. But it was not. And we have to, to discern those moments so that we can like a good symphony, play together with God in a way that creates something beautiful, that allows Isaac to come forward. Now, there's far more we could say about Isaac, but we want to recognize that in this passage, God is working in his own time and through his own methods. Are we willing to wait on the Lord? Are we willing to work with the Lord and discern His methods, and be okay with His works in His ways, in His timing? That's a painful, painful question. But as the people of God, we need to continually ask, who is God and who am I? Let's pray. Lord, You have shown Yourself faithful so many times. You have shown yourself faithful again and again and again. Scripture is full and our lives are full of evidence that show that you are good to your word. That we are not waiting for empty promises, that we are not waiting for checks that will bounce, we are not waiting for bank accounts that are empty, but we are waiting for someone who is able to not only make his promises come true, but will give abundance in that, in that as well. Lord, help us to wait on you. Help us to look after your ways, to discern your will and wait on your timing. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.